today we come again to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And as we have heard in our word of exhortation, so we have received the context again for this passage. <clears throat> Those three metaphors, challenging, wonderful metaphors of what the Lord calls us to be. Um, and all of this in a pastoral context that Paul has been preparing, we know Timothy, and through Timothy, us, for that next generation of ministry. And here we are. Here we are, the fruit, not only of Paul's ministry, but the fruit of Timothy's ministry. And the fruit of the ministry of all those faithful men and women through the ages that the Lord, by His Spirit, has brought. I mean, think about that. Here we are. Here we are, 2,000 years, 2,000 years later. And we are, the reason I'm here is because it's been handed down to me by those who have had it handed down to them all the way back to Paul who wrote this letter from a Roman jail cell. And here we are sitting together. And the reason you're here is the same exact reason. You've been, somebody spoke to you. Somebody shared the gospel with you. And it's been faithfully handed down. It's a really incredible thing. And so we're being trained. We, By God's grace, it's, I'm sure Paul could not have written the story of how that transmission would go. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of unfaithfulness. There's a lot of falling away. Again, Ephesus is no longer a Christian city, right? It's no, no strong Christian church in that, in that region of Turkey. Uh, I'm sure that would break Paul's heart. But Paul would be amazed to see at the same time how the gospel has spread and gone and the Spirit has used even the falling away of churches and areas to do his purpose in the expansion of the gospel. And, and here it is, where to the, at this point, and we might hold these numbers with some suspicion or cynicism, but I mean, if you ask people to check a box on a census, I mean, a third of the world's population would check the Christian box. That's an incredible thing. I mean, think about that. You know, there's, I don't know, what, six billion people in the world, and two billion, two billion of them would check the Christian box. You know, I mean, I, I, Paul, I don't think Paul could ever have imagined something of that scope, even though in sort of principle he might have been. But, so, so Paul's message is to Timothy, but through Timothy, all the way out to us, and we are to be good stewards and faithfully pass it on. Now, Paul is, again, particularly dealing with Timothy with that, as we've been using the capital and small m, the capital M ministry of Timothy. And what have we noticed thus far? We've noticed a couple things. It'd be good if we were in Sunday school, I would ask you, like, what, what about Paul's words to Timothy have stood out to you? I was just listening to a lecture yesterday on poetry, <laughs> and, uh, and the, the professor, what, they were reading poems, they read six poems, and, um, and as, as what she would do is they would read the poem, and then people would just, they would just say phrases from the poem that stood out to them, that just caught their ear. Maybe they don't even know what it means, it's just, but it caught their ear. They start there. It's an entry point into the poem. If I, if I said to you, what has stood out to you thus far with Paul, it would be interesting to hear what you would say. <clears throat> But I have two, at least, that come to my head that are sort of just out there on the surface. Number one is suffer. Be prepared to suffer. 
endure suffering. Right? Don't be timid, be strong. <laughs> suffering is coming. And Jesus Christ. Right? There's been a lot of Jesus Christ in this. From the beginning all the way through, it's, you know, my ministry is in Christ. Timothy, you are called in Christ. Uh, the legacy of Christ has been handed down to you. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ. You know, so it's been Christ, Christ, Christ. Suffer in Christ. Well, today, again, we kind of, we artificially cut the text last week a little bit, um, just to thin it out, to, uh, so we're not piling too much into a sermon. So in some sense, today, and that's hence the reading in the word of exhortation, just the continual flow. Because when Paul says in verse 8, which is our text, 8 through uh, 13, and he says, remember Christ, he's saying that in light of the charge he just gave him, which was the overwhelming charge of being a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And now he says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. So, as I've already mentioned, I've entitled the sermon this morning, Remember, because if we could just boil it down, if I could leave you with anything, just one simple thing today, it would be that. Remember. Remember Christ. In some sense, that's what we do here every Sunday. We get to get together and we remember Christ. You say, well, I, I haven't forgotten him. Well, I know you haven't forgotten him on a certain, certain cognitive level. Right? It's not like every week we come here and we're reminded, oh, that's a yes, yes, yes. We know that. But Paul's not talking about that kind of remembering. He's talking about the kind of remembering that, again, works itself out in the warp and the woof of your life. The kind of remembering that has effects. Right? If, 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 I, if I remind you, if you're, if, if you're doing something inconsistent with something else you're supposed to know, I might remind you of it. And it's not that you forgot it intellectually. It's that you are not living consistently remember, you know. Again, my dad would remind me when I'd leave the house. He'd remind me I'm a spanger. <laughs> and I was supposed to and then intuit all the things that meant. Right? It's like, don't forget who you are. You represent the family when you walk out of here. You know, you represent the ministry that my parents had begun. It's like, don't forget that. It's not that I didn't know it. He's just saying, hey, when you make decisions now as you go out with your friends, Make decisions in light of what you know to be true. And Paul is saying that here. Remember. Remember. So that he does not turn us simply to self-reliance, but that he draws us back to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I really want to pick up on three things today. I want us to, to hear the exhortation to remember. I want us to receive the promise, the, the encouragement that Paul gives us in this text. And then I want us to hear the warning that Paul gives us in this text. So let's think about what Paul tells us to remember. Because we've been told to suffer hardship. We've been told to endure, verse 3. We've been told to be strong in the grace that is in Christ. We've been told to work hard. We have been told to go to war. We have been told to compete and to compete obediently. And you know, to compete obediently is often hard because you've got to limit yourself. You know, again, going back to the baseball, you know, the ste- not taking steroids was the hard thing to do when you're a pitcher and you know that the hitters are good. Hard to compete according to the rules. So all these, a lot of weight of 
wor- of exhortation, command, admonition that was given to us in the beginning of this text. And the way it ended last week was, consider what I say. And again, what does that mean? That means don't blow off what I'm saying. Consider it. Take it. Contemplate it. Consider what I say. And may the Lord give you understanding in all these Like I'm giving you metaphors. I'm going to trust the Lord here that he takes them like seeds and plants them in your heart and they begin to bear fruit. But you need to take it and contemplate it. You need to consider what I'm saying. Now, our text today, which again for Timothy would have just flowed right out. It would have been very natural. Next line. Remember. Now remember what? He doesn't just say remember Christ. He does. But he. I, I want to break it down into three things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead. Remember Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the crucified one. Right, he begins here by, again, he doesn't just tell us to remember Christ, he remembers Jesus. And in, in mentioning his name, not just his title, because Christ is title, Jesus' name. Sometimes Paul will just say, you know, we are this in Christ. But here he brings out the fact that it's Jesus that we're to remember. We're to remember the fact of the one who has gone before us. He's not just the Christ, he is the Christ, but he's the Jesus who is the Christ. That is, he's the suffering servant who is the Christ. He's the shepherd of Ezekiel 34 who will go and find the lost sheep. But when he finds them, he will take their place and die for them. He's the shepherd who in Revelation 5 becomes a lamb. It's an awesome image. And I know Mark's right. It's so familiar to us because we've read it so many times in this church. Because this is what happens when your pastor chooses the readings. He chooses some that he just really, really loves. And Revelation 5 is one of those for me. It's just such a beautiful and glorious text of praise for Jesus Christ. But when, when Jesus Christ is, is pointed to by the, by the elder, he says, Do not weep. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah... He has prevailed to open the scroll, right? John is weeping because there's no one able to accomplish the amazing decrees of God. God God has decreed such amazing things, but they're in a scroll sealed with seven seals. Perfectly sealed. No one can break it. You can't accomplish it. There's no one who can fulfill it. It's over. We've got this amazing plan that can't be accomplished. And John is weeping because... They search all over, high and low, Old Testament and New. There's no one able to open the scroll and to loose its seal. And then the angel of the Lord, the, the elder, excuse me, basically says, don't weep, remember. You know, remember Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He has prevailed. And when John looks to see this lion of the tribe of Judah, he sees a lamb. A lamb standing as if slain. So he's slain, yet he's standing victoriously. I was into poetry yesterday, I'm sorry. So I got poet now I got poetry in my mind. And Christina had bought me a book called Thirty Poems to Remember While There's Still Time. I don't know what the while there's still time, but it's very foreboding. It's like I okay, I better get to it. Or while you still can or something. And I was like, you know. uh, and it's from it's from a group I like, I love, but 
Anyway, so I, I haven't gotten to it yet, and I came up, and because of this lecture, Christina was reading the first poem, which is a poem by Wendell Berry, and the, the poem was about a, uh, a piece of artwork, um, and the piece of artwork is called The Resurrection by uh, Piero della Francesca, a wonderful piece of Renaissance art, which has Jesus Christ Standing with his foot on the sepulcher, you know it's not it's not a, it's not a tomb in a you know like we you know in this case as the Renaissance artists often did take the their biblical story and bring it sort of into the Renaissance, <coughs> but Jesus is not standing in front of a stone rolled away, but a, a you know a sepulcher with his foot up on the stone sarcophagus or whatever it is, and and standing victoriously with his foot on there while the guards are asleep and look dead actually in front of the the tomb and he's, he's there with wounds the, the, the blood is still on his side you know and, and on his hands but he's standing victoriously and I think of Revelation 5 when I see that because there's the lamb slain yet standing right it, it, slain lambs don't stand but our slain lamb does this is, this is Jesus and, and Paul is telling Timothy remember him because I'm telling you to endure hardship. But if you, it's not just you endure hardship by just envisioning what it looks like and going and doing it. Remember Jesus Christ. He's the trailblazer. He's what it looks like. Pick up your cross and follow him. So we must remember this. Don't kind of, you know, when, you, when you think of the hardship that you are called to endure, and this is daunting, I'm not saying this makes it easy. But it is Christ's suffering that provides. He has blazed the trail for us. He has cleared the way so that your sufferings are not like his. But nonetheless, you are to suffer as Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, Timothy. An affirmation. Then he goes on. Not just Jesus Christ, but now he doubles down on the Christ part. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David. There's so much wonderful stuff packed in here. And we can preach the whole sermon just on this. And, and remember also in Revelation 5 when John is weeping and the, the elder says to him, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, right, descendant of David, he, or the root of Jesse, you know, whatever, the root of David. He has prevailed. Right, what is this business about the root of David or the seed of David have to do with it? <clears throat> well, even in Ezekiel 34, the, the shepherd that was going to come was going to be his David. I'm going to send my David. Right? It, it's this Davidic figure that's going to come. And who was David? David was a shepherd. But David was a king. Right? Jesus is of the tribe of Judah, descended of David. That is, he is the king of kings. He's the shepherd of shepherds. He is the good shepherd. Who, while the shepherds of Israel had betrayed their people, they were living off the fat of the sheep. Jesus, the good shepherd, was going to find his sheep. He's going to seek them out and bring them home. He's the good shepherd. He's the king of kings. Do not forget this, Timothy. That the one you serve, the one for whom you endure hardship, 
is none less than the King of Kings, the Lord of Glory, the one slain yet standing. Which brings us to the next point, or the next, the third thing here to remember. Remember that it was Jesus Christ of the seed of David <clears throat> that was raised from the dead. That was raised from the dead. I challenge you now to go look up the piece of artwork. Uh, the Pietro della Francesca piece, The Resurrection. Just to enjoy a beautiful piece of artwork. But I wish I had it on the screen to show you. But look at the glorious image of Christ with his foot on the grave, holding a banner in his hands of the cross and a flag. It's kind of, you can't see the too well. It's kind of, you know, the wind has whipped it back. And Jesus is looking right in your eyes in the picture. Remember Jesus Christ, the seed of David, the lamb slain, is now standing with his foot on the grave, absolutely victorious. Do not forget that, Timothy. Because if you remember that, it will fill you with courage. It will fill you with courage because you will know that the battle is won. The battle is already won. Jesus is victorious. Death is defeated. Therefore, there's nothing ultimately that can harm you. And we can read Revelation, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 8 with all Paul's defiant and confident questions. You know, if Christ is for us, who could be against us? Who is the one who accuses? What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? You know, Paul can say those defiant questions, those taunting questions, because he knows that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead victorious. And therefore, there's nothing. It's purely a rhetorical question. There is nothing that can separate us. There's nothing that can oppose us. There's no one that can ultimately accuse us. There's no one who can be against us. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead according to my gospel. And when he says my gospel, he means the gospel. The gospel that I've been preaching to you today. So affirmation, my first thing to you is to exhort you and to encourage you. Yes, because again, the flow is there. Work hard. Get your hands dirty. Get to war. Compete hard. Suffer hardship. Endure. By remembering Jesus Christ, the seed of David, and no one less than him, was raised from the dead. Now notice quickly what that does for Paul. Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead, according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained, Timothy. So Paul now takes it and he, he throws himself back in there. He thrusts himself back into the story to say, See, this is exactly what I'm doing. Like the reason I'm able to do this, the reason I'm suffering hardship, I've told you to endure hardship as a soldier, athlete, farmer, and I'm doing it. And the reason I'm doing it is because I know Jesus Christ. I remember Jesus Christ, the seed of David, raised from the dead, according to my gospel. Like, I'm actually living consistently with that. And I know that even though I am chained, the word of God is not chained. I mean, we have to admit that it does seem like, well, Lord, if, if you want to, if you're conquering the world, like if you're, if, you know, you've, you've empowered me and enabled me to do great things for your kingdom. I'm, I'm saying this as Paul now. 
Why would you have me in chains alone in a dungeon? Is this the best use of, of your investment in me? Like, you've invested a lot in me. I was just saying to somebody the other day, it's like we're making this change at Chapelfield and going toward a more classical education. Well, one of the downsides of this is, like, you cannot replace teachers easily. I've really bound myself now. Like, we were talking, Helen, about you having to replace workers and people who didn't come back. And it's like, the more precise the skill, the harder it is to replace them, especially if now I've poured in time and training them to get them to a place where they're starting to understand what they need to do here. Like now these people become very, very, even more valuable. It's hard to lose them because I can't just replace. Now it's like I got to go back through years of training. And you can hear Paul think like, Lord, this is the best use of my abilities. Like you're sticking me in a dungeon in Rome. But Paul is confident. I may be changed. But the word of God is not changed. The word of God. Why is the word of God not changed? Because the word became flesh and was chained, was executed. And the word rose from the dead. And now the word of God, not that it ever could be in principle, but certainly not now, the word cannot be chained because the word has overcome every enemy, even the last enemy of death itself. There is nothing that can stop the Word of God. The Word which by the Spirit of the living Jesus Christ is going forth and transforming the world. And this is really important for us because we can very easily get discouraged in our own times about what we're seeing around us. And it can feel like our ministry becomes very insignificant. Is anybody thinking about the gospel right now? No, everybody's thinking about COVID. Everybody's thinking about race relations. Everybody's thinking about justice. Everybody's thinking about economics. Everybody's thinking about getting back to normal. Everybody's thinking, and it's like, where's the gospel? The word of God is not changed. The word of God is not hampered by COVID. The word of God is not hampered by anything. It cannot be changed. The word of God is living. And so Paul looks at himself and he says, I suffer as an evildoer to the point of change, but the word of God is not changed. Therefore, I endure all things. And notice now how Paul gives the reason for how, uh, how he, or why he endures all things. Because he knows he has all things in Christ, his suffering is completely other-centered. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul says, now all I care about, I don't care whether it's me in a dungeon, I don't care whether it's me going around the Greco-Roman world preaching, I will endure all these things for the sake of the elect, for the sake of God's chosen people, that they may have the gift of Jesus Christ. Again, Christ, 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 all the way through this death. Now, in verses 11 through 13, we have encouragement and we have warning. Paul says, this is a faithful saying. And here you can see that the, the very form of the text changes. It's Paul quoting a hymn. It's Paul quoting sort of well-known Christian, even poetry at the time. Um, but he's quoting something here. This is a faithful saying. Timothy, you should know this. And you can tell it's got, it's got pattern to it. <clears throat> but anyway, let us heed it. So we get, we get promise and we get warning here. This is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall live with him. If we endure, we shall reign with him. 
So, so Paul tells us to remember, right? That's the point of our sermon today. Remember. Remember and then live consistently. Remember and live consistently. And this is a faithful saying. I've told you, Timothy, suffer hardship, endure. And here's what you need to know. If we die with him, we will live with him. Think about that. Now notice, that the hard part about these things is there is the contingency of the if. Right? There is the contingency of the if. The if these are if-then statements. If we die with him, then we shall also live with him. And this gets, again, this gets reformed people very anxious because we don't like conditionality. We, these things, we like these things to be settled within the decrees of God. And I'm not denying that. I'm not denying that they are settled within the decrees of God. However, like we talked about last week, be strong in grace. Run the race with endurance, fixing your eyes on Christ who is the author and finisher of your faith. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing it's God in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Like, you cannot say, well, this is the, the important thing, and this, I get that, but this is what's really important. Well, this is the really important thing, and I, I get that, but this is the important thing. It's like, you must hold these things together. They fit beautifully and wonderfully, and if you can't see that, which I admit myself, is often a challenge. We tend to swing like a pendulum. That's okay. Just don't make the mistake of minimizing. They're not set against each other. What we're not arguing for here is human autonomy. It all depends upon you, and it all depends upon God. That's not what we're saying. It's not absolute versus absolute. He is absolute, but that is not to say things don't depend on you. God will feed you. He feeds the sparrows. Don't worry. But that doesn't mean you don't try to eat today. Right? We pray, Lord, give us safety on the way home. It doesn't mean we don't drive safely. Or that we don't put our seatbelts on. And if you say, well, I'm going to presume on the providence of God. I've asked him to get me home safely. He's the sovereign one. He feeds the sparrows. He's the one that dresses the lily. He's the one that gets people home safely. So I can drive blindfolded home. It's a huge mistake. God makes no such promises to idiots. Right? He doesn't say you can completely presume upon my providence and drive home blindfolded because I've told you I'll get you home safely. I said I feed the sparrows, so it really literally doesn't matter if you go get a job because I said I would feed you. We know this. And the same is true within our salvation. Right? Paul even said in this very text, that I endure all things for the sake of the elect. We're in the context of Paul talking about the elect. His chosen people. I therefore endure all things for the sake of the elect. That they also may obtain. Paul says, I'm working hard. I am suffering. So that the elect may obtain this. Think about that. Paul, why work hard if they're the elect? Like if they're the elect, that means you don't have to work hard. God did it. But Paul says, no, this is the way God does it. It's through my hard working. And I should not presume that if I don't work hard, that it's going to get done. Even though I know at the end of the day, it doesn't depend upon me. But the way God providentially has done it is through my hard work and my enduring hardship and labor. You have to just, you have to hold those things in balance. If you die with him, you will live with him. 
If any man seeks to save his life, he will lose it. But if any man loses his life for my sake and the gospel's, he will save it. Jesus said, Jesus says that in Mark 8. If. If any man. If any man seeks to save his life, he, it will be a very bad investment. He will squander it. But if he loses his life for my sake and the gospel, he'll save it. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. And then, sort of in that poetic way, coming at it again with different words, right? If we endure, we shall reign with him. If we endure, we'll reign with him. Let us run, Hebrews 12, let us run the race with endurance. You must endure. It is a marathon. It is going to be hard. You are going to have to go through trials. You're going to go through tribulations. And you know what you're called to do? Endure. Hang on to Jesus Christ. Fight through it. Do not give up. Again, I mean, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4, it's a very troubling text if you're, if you're not careful. He says, in Hebrews 4, he says, let us fear lest we fail to enter the rest that has been prepared for us in Christ. So I, I want us to feel that. I want us to feel the, the, the challenge here. Yet this part of it, and this is the encouraging part. He's giving this to encourage. Look, hey, Timothy, I'm telling you to suffer hardship because if you suffer hardship, if we're trusting in Christ, if we're remembering, then we're going to reign with him. We're going to live with him. Again, the church uh, in Revelation 3, to the church of Laodicea, to him who overcomes, I will give to sit on my throne with me. Amazing promises. Amazing promises. I do want to encourage you, and by the way, myself, to see just on a simple common sense level the value of the investment of giving your life away, of losing your life like a seed if a seed remains alive, it doesn't do anything, Jesus says. But if a seed falls to the earth and dies, it bears fruit. Jesus was saying that of his own life, but it's true for the church too. It is a wise investment. Who Was it, was it Nate Saint or, or Jim Elliott who said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose? He is no fool who gives what he can't keep anyway to gain what he cannot lose. So give away your life, endure hardship, be a good soldier, be an athlete, be the farmer, give away your life in order to have it. You will live with him. You will reign with him forever and ever and ever. And on that day, there will not be one bit of sacrifice that you ever look back on and say, yeah, but that was wrong. This is really great. Don't get me wrong. Heaven is awesome. But wow, that was wrong. There's not, I don't care what it is. Paul says in Romans 8, these present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that is prepared for you. There will not be one bit of suffering. Not one bit of loss, as severe as it can be. And I have suffered very little, so this is very hard for me to say. Because there are people who have suffered so much more than I have. So I don't want to come across as trite. 
But there's not one bit of suffering, according to Paul, that is even worth comparing to glory that's ours. So, brothers and sisters, die with him. Endure with him. But you will live with him and reign with him. And then our text ends on some challenge. Now, I heard in Mark's, I see it in the choosing of the hymn, in Mark chooses the hymn, and uh, and it's great. And it's, a, it's the hymn, it's a great hymn to sing for today. <clears throat> but there is there are two ways to understand what Paul says here in this text, right? And I take the harder of them. By harder, I just mean the negative here. Because now Paul turns, right? If we deny him, so he's just said two positive things, right? If we died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we'll reign with him. Now, if we deny him, he will also deny us. Here's the troubling part, right? It's like, you only got two options. Die with him or deny him. That's sort of the, they're put together. Right? To die with him or to deny him. Jesus said in Mark in Matthew chapter 10, If any man denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father in heaven. Again, even as Reformed folk, we have to read these passages not in a way that drives us to complete self-reliance. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descendant of David. But in ways that do make your knees buckle a little bit. That remind us that there, you know, there's something on the line here for us. We ought to be careful before we deny him. No, what we're to deny is ourselves. If any man would come after me, let him pick up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. Don't deny me. If any man denies me, he also will deny us. And then in verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Now, the the question is, what does that mean? Is it, if we're faithless, that's okay, he's faithful, he gets it done. Or if we're faithless, he's faithful, he continues to abide with us. You could read it that way. He cannot deny himself. That is, he's not going to break his promises. And I, I think there's a truth to that. He's, he's, I mean, let's face it. There is no absolute sense in which you are faithful. Peter denied him. Right? Peter denied him. God didn't throw him, cast him off into hell. Jesus forgave and restored. There was repentance. So it's not like, I want to be careful, I don't want to just absolutize all this and say, you know, again, if you slip up, that's it, too bad, you're done. That's just not the tenor of how Jesus ministers to his flock, as a sheep, as a, as a shepherd, excuse me. But when we deny him, we ought, to, we, we ought to be shaking in our boots. If we deny him, he will deny us, and I think... If we are faithless, i.e., another way of saying if we deny him, he remains faithful. <laughs> that is, he's not denying himself. He's not, he is not saying, oh, don't worry about it. He's not saying, it doesn't matter how you live. He cannot deny himself. Here, here's the word that we're to take. It's if we die with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will live with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. He is faithful to that. He is his character is unbending. And so I think it's a doubling down on the on the warning, is my point. But again, I think you can... Uh, the, the, the other point is true. It just doesn't fit the symmetry of the, of the poetry. 
And therefore, I think it's not exactly what Paul is saying here. I think Paul is doubling down on the warning. Let us not presume on his faithfulness as if somehow what we do doesn't really matter anyway because he'll just, he'll make it all right. No, what you do matters. Not because your salvation depends upon you, but because the Bible has said you need to deny yourself and follow him. You need to trust in him. But let me come back, though. Let me, let me conclude. Now, again, I don't want to take away the angst of that, if there is any angst, by the Spirit. But I do want to always set it within the context. Go back again. Even in the hard words that not I give you, but that the Apostle Paul gives you, the ifs, the if-thens, and bring it back and loop it around and set it within the context of the first word of the text today and the title of the sermon, Remember. Remember. Remember who it is that you're to die with. Remember who it is you are not to deny. Remember who it is you are to be faithful to. It's to the one who died for your failings. Jesus is not Stalin who's demanding, you know, with, with, with uh, Stalin, you know, they'd be in a group like this and he'd be talking and then he'd make a great point and everybody'd start clapping. And then no one would stop clapping because they didn't want to be the first one to stop clapping because the first one to stop clapping, it's like, well, what's wrong with you? That wasn't good enough, you know. And he might be taken out and executed, so you just keep clapping. I mean, there are ridiculous stories about the speeches of Stalin where, like, nobody would stop clapping, literally, because you were afraid you would be taken out and shot. Jesus is not Stalin. Jesus is the good shepherd that gave his life for the sheep. He is the one who calls you to be faithful. He is the one who calls you not to deny him. To deny him is an act of utter foolishness. You're denying the one that gives his life for you. What hope do you have if you deny him? He is the one who is calling you to endure. He is the one who's calling you to die with him because he is the source of life. So again, I want to give you the hard warnings. I want us to remember, to, to reflect upon ourselves and say, am I enduring? Am I dying daily with him? Or am I seeking to save my life? Am I denying him in the way I live? Or am I living as one who remembers Jesus Christ? Am I being faithful or am I being faithless? want you to feel that expectation. I'm going to take it home. i got to contemplate it. But do it always then by coming back to Christ. If you have failed, if you've been seeking to save your life this week and not to lose it for his sake and gospel, if you have denied him, if you have been faithless, then like Peter, run back to Jesus. There's forgiveness with him. There's forgiveness with him. There's restoration with him. He's the good shepherd that seeks out his sheep and dies for them. Remember Jesus Christ, the descendant of David, raised from the dead for your forgiveness and for your victory. Heavenly Father, we take your word seriously. And at times it's so warm and comforting, and at times it's threatening and challenging to us. But Father, we pray that you would help us to apply all that you say, even the things that feel like their intention to us. May we keep them, even if unresolved, in our souls 
and trust that you will bring fruit from them in our lives. Father, forgive us if we have denied you. Forgive us if we have given up the course and not endured with you. Forgive us if we have been faithless. Forgive us if, uh, Father, we have uh, not died with you. Help us to remember Jesus Christ who is our life. And in remembering him, would you then strengthen us, encourage us, fix us even more on dying with him. Fix us even more on enduring with him. Fix us even more on not denying him, but professing him. And help us even more to be faithful. To the honor and the glory of your name we ask. Amen.